Okay, we're going to be in Psalms 45 uh, tonight. Uh, this is an interesting one. Um, the title of the psalm is to the chief musician, set to the lilies, contemplation of the sons of Korah, a song of love. It's been referred to as a wedding song. Uh, it's been uh, referred to as a nuptial psalm. Uh, no doubt, uh, throughout history, uh, uh, many kings would have used this, uh, especially Jewish tradition. They would have used this throughout uh, uh, some of their weddings. But when it comes to this psalm, uh, there's a lot of different views. There's a lot of different opinions on the meaning of this psalm, of who it's referring to. There's, uh, I think it's interesting, uh, Bert Kaufman says that there's two uh, views on this psalm. One of them is that it's referring, it's talking about a wedding between a king and who he's marrying. Uh, he says that that's senseless because it doesn't point out uh, what particular king. You can't pinpoint a king that this refers to. He says the other interpretation is that it uh, totally refers to the Messiah, the ultimate king, um, as far as uh, Jesus and the church, as far as the, the wedding, uh, the bridegroom groom and the bride. Uh, he says that's the more uh, obvious view, uh, especially the more traditional view, because the Jewish tradition was, of course, they probably used that at the kings, but they always looked forward to the coming Messiah and what the Messiah would do and uh, ultimately uh, his victory and his reign. Um, and he says there's a third view that's idiotic, he says, uh, that is uh, a nonsense of trying to blend the two together. Um, I may fall in the idiotic range. <laughs> uh, I don't totally believe that you can blend the two together but what I do believe, and, and how I see this psalm is, that it is referring to Jesus. It is referring to him in the church. But I think there's also principles that it can apply to uh, marriage in general. Because the principles that are taught here in Psalms 45 goes along with what Paul taught in Ephesians and different things as far as the role and responsibilities and different things between the husband and the wife. So I'm kind of in the middle. I'm not quite on the idiotic range but I don't go quite with the other two, so that puts me in the middle, doesn't it? What's that make me? If I'm not idiotic, what am I? Semi-idiotic. I was asking Mike. I wasn't asking you. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Do something about that. <laughs> We're going to talk completely on marriage and how, how a wife should respect their husbands uh, during, <laughs> during this class. Uh, I can't believe you said that. Jimmy? <laughs> hey, if you mean it, just say it. That's okay. I understand. Uh, so I guess I am semi-idiotic uh, semi then. Um, but let's read this and uh, we'll discuss it. As I said, the, uh, the Jews saw this inspired writings as it, it, it's applicable to every generation, particularly the Jews had a great emphasis of the end times and, and the meaning and time coming of the Messiah. Um, let's, let's start here with, with Psalms 1. It says, uh, Psalm 45, verse 1, My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Here you have the psalmist is, is overflowing with joy. He, he, he's ready to write the things that he has. Some say that this is actually talking about him being inspired 
and, and inspired writing about the prophecy of, of the Christ. Uh, and it could be uh, either way. I think uh, it, it can still, ultimately it is that. I think that's the true meaning of this psalm. But uh, uh, it's just showing that he's excited, or the, the psalmists are excited for uh, what they're writing. Let's go on to verse 2 and following. It says, You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty ride uh, prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. Uh, the peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. Your love, uh, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with, with myrrh and alloys and cassa out of the ivory places by which they have made you glad. King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Orpha. Uh, now here it's talking about the king's beauty. The psalmist begins by um, describing the beauty of the king. And as we read on through here, we, we can see that we can try to visualize if we were visualizing the king, we visualize a king in all his splendor. This psalmist uh, uh, talking about how wonderful uh, uh, this king is. And, and in referring to Jesus, if it's a, a messianic psalm referring to him, and I believe that it is, you know, it's not talking about, it, it doesn't talk about how great, great looking he is, does it? It's talking about his characteristics, his character, the things that he does, the, the, uh, him as a warrior, if you will. You know, Psalms 53, when it describes Jesus, how does Psalm 53 describe him? Lowliness, humbleness, uh, 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 his comeliness. It, it, it's, it's not that he come in this, he was this great looking person. It's, it's about what, what his beauty is, is the characteristics of, of who he is and, and the things in which he does. Um, look in Revelation 19, beginning at verse 11. Notice here, he says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges, judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written there no other knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in linen, uh, in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepresses of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe, on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we see here how uh, the psalmist is describing this king. We see how John described uh, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. It's not that describing, oh, he's just some good-looking person. Oh, he's a good-looking king. And, and, and all these people will just come to him because of how he looks. It, it, it's about the characteristics. It's about he's a mighty warrior. And especially about how he's coming uh, at the end. 
of what's going to take place. Fierce, all the battles he won and, and what he's going to do, the victory that he's coming in. But you put this in essence of how it's, uh, if it's referring to Christ and, and the, the church itself or as uh, uh, a marriage itself, starting out by talking about how, how wonderful it is that the church, which is the bride, how wonderful that bridegroom is. And, and how it's worth, they're worthy of, of, of this marriage. They're worthy of, of what's taking place. Again, they're looking forward to, uh, to the Christ himself. This is what uh, the Hebrew writer said. Remember in Hebrews 1, 8 through 9, when he described him, it's actually a direct uh, uh, description of what the psalmist says. But to the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So his throne is forever and ever, and he rules and rules justice. If we go back and look here between uh, verses 2 and verse 9, you know, he, some say, well, this can't be talking just about Christ. There's things that can refer to Christ because he talks here about, uh, where was it here? Uh, the people fall under you, your throne of God is forever uh, become truth, humility at your... Oh, yeah. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. They say it couldn't possibly be referring to Christ because Christ can't be taught anything. Uh, uh, so it could refer to the king, and uh, a, a king, a physical king, and then ultimately to the king of kings. But you remember Hebrews, uh, what is it, 5, verse 8 and 9? Though he was the son of God, he did what? He learned obedience through the things in which he suffered. So if he was God, how could he learn anything? How can the psalmist says here that your right hand shall teach you awesome things? How can he be taught something? How can he be learned? How can he learn something if he if he's God? He knows all, doesn't he? What about him coming in the flesh? Him emptying himself and coming in the flesh? Do you think as the fleshly Jesus learned anything? He learned how we live. He learned the things that we go through. He learned obedience through the things in which he suffered. Isn't that the example that he sets for us? So there, was, there is learning there. there it, it's showing us not only how uh, there's blessings and sufferings, but that's we learn obedience, that we still stay obedient to him through the things in which we suffered. So as we read this and see the things that it's talking about Christ, we can see how it refers to the ultimate king, that it's, it's not about, um, you know, when you think of just a king in general, you, you know, a, a king can look good, he can dress good, uh, he can act good, people can fall all over him because he's a king, just because of the splendor of it. But Christ the king is much more than that, isn't he? It, it, it's not about those things, it's about what he can do, it's about who he is, it's about his characteristics, and his characteristics are truth, humility, righteousness, um, these types of things, that, that's his companions. That, that's what he stands for. That's what he fights for is these things. And that makes him the king of all kings. Now notice here starting in verse 10, this is where we're going to start and spend most of the time, I think, through the rest of this, is uh, uh, he kind of turns his attention to the bride. Look here starting in verse 10. He says, uh, listen, O daughters, uh, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. 
So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. And the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your face. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions, who follow her, shall be brought to you. With gladness and rejoicing they shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. Instead of your fathers, uh, instead of your fathers shall be your sons, whom uh, you shall make princes in all the earth. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore the people shall praise you forever and ever. Now here as it starts talking about this, here's where I think that we can get the principles of when it comes to marriage itself. Not necessarily a physical king that's being married, but marriage principles in itself. Notice the first thing. Uh, verse 10 says, Listen, O daughters, consider and climb your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So what is he telling the bride to do? Don't think about the past. Forget the past. This goes back to Genesis 2 and 24, doesn't it? Remember what uh, uh, it says, Man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What does that mean? What does that mean to leave father and mother and cling to each other? Yeah, you start a new life. You forget the past. There's been many marriages ruined because they try to live in the past, don't you? You know, I, I've, I've talked with individuals. I've seen individuals, and it's just like that in the Christian life. You, you think about the things that are before, you, you, you don't quite make that, you don't sever that. You don't start that new relationship. You don't become one. Uh, you know, you still try to go back to mother and father, or you still try to go back to your old past. I, I was watching something uh, one time, and uh, I forgot what it was now, and they were talking about how, when they were thinking about marriage, that it was, they, they wanted someone that... Uh, how was it they put it? You know, they, they like to live a certain life a certain way, and they wanted someone to come and, and live that way with them. Well, that's not truly what marriage is, is it? it it's not that, okay, I, I'm still going to continue to live this way. I just want somebody to come and, and do that with me. It's about starting your own life, isn't it? It, it? It's about coming together for yourself, about forgetting the past or the way that things used to be. Um, she's not to recall her old life, but fully give herself to the king and begin a new life together. Now, part of that is understanding the husband understanding his role, the wife understanding their role, and as they start this new role together, that's totally different than what the role was when you were in your father and mother's house, isn't it? It's different than the role that you had in the past. It's different than your single life. It's different than your other home life. You're starting a new life now. You're starting a new family. You're, you're working toward a new life. You're leaving father and mother. You're clinging to one. This is something that's totally different. Uh, and Paul actually addresses this. And when we, we don't get that in our frame of mind, and we don't go into the marriage thinking that, um, that can cause problems, can't it? You know, if you, don't, if you don't go into it realizing, okay, everything's going to be new. It's not going to be like it was. It, it, you know, it, it's not going to be like it was when I was single. It's not going to be like it was when I was still living at home. This is a whole new life. I'm starting a new life now. And as Paul described it, look in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. When he, he goes on and talks about, okay, you forget the past, 
but you also understand your roles. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. So the husband is to love and cherish the bride, and the wife is to submit to the groom, and a marriage can only succeed if that's the way it is, isn't it? And that's what the, what the psalmist described here, describing how that, that bride is looking at her king. And you say, well, you know, I, I, a wife don't look at her husband as a king. It's the principle here. that That's what we're referring to, is understanding each of your roles. The, the, the king, the ultimate king, Jesus, as he looks at the church, as Paul says, as Christ is the head of the church and savior of the body, so is the husband the head of the wife, and that's the way the wife has to see that, and that's the way the husband has to see that. But they have to each understand their roles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult even in the best of circumstances. I mean, if you don't understand what your role is, and going back to forgetting that past, as you said, whether your past was an only child, whether you come from a big family, whether you come from a broken home, whatever that case may be, you still have all of that, you can still bring all that luggage with you. And that could be detrimental, can it? Uh, and it's harder to bring, uh, to come to an understanding. Uh, things aren't going to be, and, it, and this is the hard thing in marriage, you know. Uh, when the wife looks at her husband, you know, they're not going to do everything just like their father did. Or when the uh, husband looks at the wife, they're not going to do everything like mama did, you know, don't. Do you cook like mama do, does? Do you do this like mama does? Do you fix this or do this like daddy does? You know, And it's hard not only for the parents, it's hard for the children sometimes to make that separation and understand, okay, here's what my new role is. And my new role is a wife or my new role is a husband. And that's how I have to go into that. I can't go into it with, okay, I, I still want things to be like it was here. As Bill said, if you know, if I was the only child, it's going to be different. If I come from a big family, it's going to be different. Um, and understanding those roles aren't easy, especially in our culture today. Um, it's not the the marriage relationship is more of a maybe a contract or an understanding more than it is a a covenant of of a promise that you're making. Uh, individuals don't look at marriage the same way anymore. Um, you know, one of the arguments that I used to have when I was studying with individuals on the name of the church, you know, Church of Christ, why would you take this other name or this other name? I always used a marriage relationship for the same thing. I said, if I married my wife, why would I want her to take my cousin's name? You know, it, it doesn't make any sense, would it? You know, if you, if you refer to yourself as, okay, uh, 
uh, it's not Christ's church, it's somebody else's. Well, there is something in a name. When you marry, there's something in that name. It's hard to use that argument today because there's a lot of women don't want to take their husband's name. So that name doesn't mean anything to them. And I think it just goes back to the, uh, of, of honoring that relationship. I can remember one time uh, 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 an elder's wife actually said that she had uh, Obey took out of her wedding vows. She didn't want to have Obey put in there. Uh, she wouldn't obey in anybody. Um, well, I think, one, it's a misunderstanding of obey, but two, I think it's just a misunderstanding of, of that relationship to begin with. Um, so I think here in Psalms 45, there's principles in which we can apply to a marriage as far as going into it. One, you don't look at the past. Two, you honor each other the way that you're supposed to honor each other. But two... If you go from about verse 11 through 16 here, it says that you look to the future. The bride is to, uh, instructed to look to the future of the things she's going to receive, not the things that she's going to give up. You know, if we keep saying, okay, well, it wasn't like this when I lived home with mom and daddy, or, you know, it wasn't like this when I, I used to do this. I could go do this. I could do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. And you're looking to the past instead of looking to the future. Well, he gives a whole list of things here that she gains, it's not about what you're losing, because he says here, you know, don't look uh, in the past, forget your own people also in your father's house. In other words, how you were brought up as far as thinking it's going to be like this now. Here's, here's the things that you gain. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he's your Lord. Worship him. And the daughter of Tyre will bring you gifts. The rich among... Talking about how wonderful it is to be the wife of the king. Now, we, we can put some marriage principles in that, but we can also go now and look at the spiritual part of it and see what we gain should we, as a church, which is the bride of Christ, how do we view when we go into that relationship? Do we still look in the past? Do we honor uh, our Lord? Do we actually look in the future and the things that we can gain? Uh, and I think many times we don't. Uh, in Ephesians 5, Beginning at verse 25, notice again what, what uh, Paul says. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So there it's talking about Christ and the church and that relationship of marriage, that commitment of marriage. And how wonderful it is. It should be like, if we want to know what it's like, you look at the husband and wife relationship. It should be what Christ and the church relationship is. You want to know what Christ and the church relationship is? Look at the husband and wife. You want to know what the husband and wife is? Look at it, They should be comparable to each other. Because that's what Paul says here in Ephesians. If you understand what your role is as a wife, you understand what your role is as a Christian. If you understand what your role is as a husband, you'll understand what your role is as a Christian as it relates to the physical marriage and as it relates to the spiritual marriage. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be married to understand that, but this is the example that he's given. He says this is what it should be like. A husband should love his wife like Christ loves the church, and the, uh, the wife should look at her husband as the church looks at, at Christ. It, it should be that kind of relationship. Um, Revelation 19 and 7 says this, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. 
Revelations 21 and 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride ordained for her husband. Now, as we look at this uh, from a, a Christian standpoint, as it's looking at Christ and the church, what should we do as a Christian first? Don't look back. Forget about the past. Too many times a person can't be the Christian that they need to be because they forget the past. Just as he's telling the bride here in Psalms 45, forget about the past. We, we can't go back to the past. Luke 14 and 26 says this, If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Do you think anybody ever has had to choose uh, their family or Christ? Is that a hard decision to make? You know, it, it very well can be. Uh, it, it can be a difficult one. But what he's saying here is not that I have to hate my family. I have to make sure that Christ is first. We're, we're, we're joined together just like uh, Genesis says, you know, what, what God is joined together, man doesn't have the right to separate. So when husband and wife are joined together, it's not about their, their parents anymore. It's not about how their old life used to be anymore. It's about them. It's about who they are and what their relationship is and what their responsibility is to each other. When, when I'm married to Christ, when I become a Christian, I'm, I'm the body of Christ and we come together, no man has the right to separate that. It's not about what my family does or what my family wants or, or how I live my life in the past. It's about what Christ wants and that commitment and that relationship. And that's what we have to be focused on. Because if we look in the past, all it does is bring heartache, don't it? You look at the, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. When they started running into trouble, what did they start to do? They started looking in the past. Oh, it was so wonderful when we were in Egypt and eating the melons and, and enjoying life. Was it really like that? Was that life so wonderful? Just like we look as a Christian and look back at our past life. Oh, our life was so wonderful. Oh, it was really so wonderful and smart up in sin, living in darkness. It was that wonderful? But that's what the children of Israel thought. You can't look back. What about uh, Lot's wife looking back? You, you think of all the heartache and pain that Sodom and Gomorrah caused them. And as she was going out, I, I can imagine her hearing everything that's going on. I can see her wanting to look back. Her, her livelihood was there. Her life was there. As, as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah was, her livelihood was there. But you can't look back. You can't look back and say, yeah, that was my life. That was a part of me. I'm a new creature now. What happens in the past is in the past. That's what I try to look at when I drive. What happens behind me is behind me. I, I don't know what, the, they may be crashing back there. I'm looking forward. But that's what we're supposed to do as Christians, isn't it? We look forward. What my past is is what my past is. I, I can't do nothing to change it, so I have to move forward. And that's what he wants us to do. But uh, again, that, that's what we do. We longingly look back um, at the things we had before. Luke 9 and 62 Remember, but Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. How many times do we as Christians try to look back at our old life but still live like a Christian? Something has to change, doesn't it? 
Something has to do, and what do we do? How do we keep from looking back? Well, one, understand what that relationship is with Christ. I'm to be submissive to him. It's not my will anymore anyway. But if we look at it just from that point of view, all we're looking at, okay, I'm submissive. Being submissive is all the things that I'm giving up. I'm giving up my own will, I'm giving up my own way, I'm giving up my own thoughts, I'm giving up, we may think, I'm giving up all the things that I enjoy, I'm giving these things up to be submissive to Christ. You know, if we only think of it that way, you know what's going to happen? We'll start being resentful of it, aren't we? We'll start being resentful of our Christian life. Just like in a marriage, if we start looking and thinking all the things we may have had to give up and how our other life was, and we start looking back at that, we get resentful in a marriage. It's, it's no different than our Christian life. If we start looking back and all we're doing is looking at the things we're giving up, what good does it do to look in the back? What, what good as a Christian, as he says, if I've got my hand to the plow and I'm all the time looking back, what's going to happen? I'm not going to see anything in front of me. The road is going to be just as crooked as it can possibly be. I'm not going to get, I'm not, not going to accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish because I'm looking backwards. So I can't do that in a marriage and I can't do that in uh, uh, my relationship to Christ. That's why I think this psalm, even though it's referring to Christ, I, I think the principles are, still apply just like, Today, the, the church still applies the principles of it as far as, as what the marriage is. So as we see this thing, so how do we do it? We don't, we don't look in the past. Then we look at our uh, relationship to our bridegroom like we should. That's what he tells, him, uh, uh, tells the bride here in Psalm 45. Don't look in the past. So how do you do that? You look at what your relationship is. So as a church, what is our relationship to Christ? Our relationship to Christ is submissiveness but understanding that he loves us and gave himself for us just like a wife should know that her husband loves her and will give himself for her would die for her just like Christ would for the church that's how that's how we're supposed to look so if we view it not as submissiveness not as the things we have to give up but if we look at submissiveness and our role as a Christian in the body of Christ we look at it as we're, we're with someone who gave his life for us. Would that make us look at it differently? Would that make us serve him differently? We wouldn't be resentful. I can't be resentful of my Christianity when I'm looking at Christ and he says, but I gave my life for you. I, 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 I shed my blood. I, I was, uh, look at all the things that he did for us. He didn't have to come to start with. And if I look at all these things that he's done for us, then I'm looking at my submissiveness not as something, okay, I had to give up, but it's something that I'm gaining. And that's what he says in Psalms 45 here. You start looking as the bride of a king. You don't look at your old life. Now you look at all the splendors that come with being the wife of a king. That's what you need to think about, Debbie. Think about that. <laughs> But think of all that comes with that, though. I mean, you think about, in just a general sense, all kidding aside, of a husband and wife. You think about how wonderful that relationship can be. Yeah, I'm no longer a child anymore in my father, mother and father's home. I'm no longer that anymore. And yeah, I had to give that up. 
But that's just a natural process, isn't it? Now look at all that I'm gaining from that. You, you gain this other wonderful relationship and you start this new life together. Well, that's what we're doing with Christ. We're starting this new life. I'm a new creature. I'm no longer who I, who I was before. This is what I am now. And I don't look at it as things I'm giving up. I'm looking at it what I'm gaining. And what am I gaining? I'm gaining all spiritual blessings that's in Christ. I'm gaining an abundant life, John 10 and 10. I'm gaining an eternal home that He's going to prepare for me, John chapter 14. I look at all these wonderful things that I'm gaining. How can I not be what I'm supposed to be if that's everything that I'm gaining? Why would I want to look in the past? You know, you think about when you, say when you first get married, and I think it's the same as when you first become a Christian. You do tend to, to look back and think, okay, when I was a kid, boy, I sure had it good in mom and daddy's house. Now I've got all this responsibility here in this house. It may not be as fun as I thought it should be. But as you work together and as you grow together, you, you, you see what that becomes and what that creates. And that's the same thing it is as a Christian. So all the advice that he's giving the bride here in Psalms 45 is the same advice that, that Paul is giving, by inspiration, to a husband and wife. It's the same thing, you know, when it comes to them physically or when it comes to Christ and the church spiritually. But again, you look to the future. Revelation 19 and 8 says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen and the righteous acts of the saints. Revelation 21, beginning at verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with me, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. What wonderful thing, what greater thing can we look forward to? So we, we forget about the past. What does he tell them in... Psalm 43, it start, or Psalm 53, it starts with the king, how wonderful that king is with all the things that he's able to do and who he is. He's the greatest that you'll ever know. And then as a bride, you realize what you have in that king. You forget about the past, you, you honor that king as for who he is, and you look to the future for all the benefits that being a part of that king. And we can go through each step ourselves as a Christian and see the very same thing that we do. Does that make sense? I mean, think about it. These, these psalms that we have, and that's what the, the Jews did traditionally as they you know, looked at marriages, and I'm, I'm sure they sung these at, 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 marriage, at weddings uh, a lot, of thinking of that coming Messiah. You look at how wonderful marriage is here and supposed to be here, how much more wonderful is the ultimate king and the ultimate bride of the church? It's just the splendor of it is sometimes hard to imagine. But the Messiah Jesus reigns on his throne. We are to prepare ourselves to be his bride, not look back at our old life, not, you know, look back and see those things with longing eyes. And sometimes we can. It's, it's amazing what we could look and see how good it was in the darkness. 
And we forget about how good it is in the light and how wonderful it is in the light. But I think this psalm uh, reminds us of that. Any, any final thoughts or any questions? thousand miles removed from our Christianity, or what's that got to do with Christianity, or what's, what me and my wife do, I have anything to do with my Christian walk, all of these things that God has given us are learning opportunities about Him, you know, parenting is learning <clears throat> what it's like to have children, imagine, you know, being God's child, and then also facing the shame of realizing, man, I'm nowhere near the father that God is, marriage for me a lot of times is looking at Jesus and going, wow, I'm nowhere near the husband that Jesus is to the church, I don't, you know, am I loving my wife with that sacrificial love? And I think all of this is just such a good opportunity for us to look at our lives and say, it, you know, interconnect these things in our mind. Let everything be a lesson towards our Christianity. Don't, you know, put a wall between, well, here's my practical life and here's my spiritual life, and that really doesn't have anything to do with the other because that connection is what starts making all of this stuff meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that goes back to walking by faith, not by sight. I, you know, we, we think about that as not thinking on the physical and the carnal things, but always think on the spiritual things. But I think it goes even farther than that. When you think about you know, don't walk by sight, you walk by faith. Don't walk, as Titus was saying, don't walk and think, okay, this marriage just means this marriage, or this life just means this life. Being a husband just means being a husband. Being a father just means being a father. You look beyond that. You know, being a husband, you look just at the, the physical part of it, and that's all it is. That's all it will ever become. But if you look farther than that to the spiritual, then you start saying, okay, this is what Christ is to the church, so this is what I need to be physically here to my wife. Then as a father, you look at that. You, you, if you're just looking at the physical part of it, you'll just be a father. But if you look beyond that, you try to be the best that you can be, just like the best husband or the best father you can be, based on what you see Christ and the church is and what our Heavenly Father is. So you look beyond walking by sight. You, you, you look by walking by faith and see all the spiritual uh, uh, benefits from it. Um, and if we do that, that, that's what I believe separates us from, from everyone in the world. Everyone in the world. I mean, you can, be, you can be a father and not be a Christian, can't you? You can be a husband and not be a Christian. I mean, you can be a man and not be a Christian. You can be a, a, a woman and not be a Christian. You can, I mean, you, you can go through your life, your physical life, without any spiritual overtones at all with it. But what's it ultimately going to be? What are we ultimately going to get at? What's the benefit? What's the purpose of it? What, what does the future look like? I, I, I'm just a, a, a husband and father until I die, and that's it. I'm just supposed to be here to do this? No, it, it, it's much more than that. Yeah. I think that, that's, that's very much true. Very much true. So as we begin in the, uh, the beginning, I guess, what do you call it? Semi-idiotic. Uh, my view on this psalm is uh, it is talking about Christ. It's, it's not talking about a physical king. But I think the principles, the physical principles of marriage, I think applies in this psalm. So I think you can look at it from a, a physical sense, but ultimately from a spiritual sense.
Um, and it just goes again to show you how wonderful the book of Psalms is. The book of Psalms, uh, I mean, it covers, uh, you know, a lot of times we want to go to Proverbs and you get all the little little bits out of Proverbs of, uh, of practical things of life. Uh, I don't know that Psalms can't do the same thing uh, and, and see how to get the practical things of life, but also uh, adding the spiritual to it also. Any final thoughts? Yeah, you, you do. Uh, Proverbs is just pretty well out there for you. Uh, Psalms, you do have to dig a little deeper. And I'm glad that hopefully we are doing that. We may not do it as much in class, but I hope you're doing it at home also. But I appreciate you listening.